Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Senyard. I came across an article, and this was a quote from that article. You've probably heard something like this before. I just thought it summed it up really well. As recently, the quote says, as 1990, only 7% of Americans reported having no religion. 7%. 30 years later, in 2020, the percentage claiming to be non-religious had quadrupled. With, only, with almost 3 in 10 Americans having no religion. There are now more non-religious Americans than affiliates of any one single religious tradition, including the two largest, Catholicism and Evangelical Protestantism. Wow. Yeah, that's about right. That's what it feels. That's one of the reasons we're ranting. And look, you can blame COVID, but it's too easy to blame COVID. The d- decline's trajectory was well established before COVID. And okay, if, if it's COVID, we're going to see people rush back to institutional church. But I don't think that's going to happen, and I don't think you do either. So uh, I thought I'd rant a little bit uh, based upon my research and interviews with young and older adults uh, here are some reasons why they have left church or are considering leaving church, have one foot in, one foot out, just waiting for the, the, the next uh, bomb to drop. Here it is. Number one, they would say that the church is no longer experienced as a safe place. See, for a long time, church growth experts said becoming a friendly church, that's it. If you want your church to grow, you need to become a friendly church. Be a friendly church. You need to greet well, uh, look people in the eyes, give them a gift, those sort of things. Those aren't bad. And I'm not suggesting the opposite is true as, well, let's become an unfriendly church. That's absurd. So far from that is I'm suggesting that being a friendly church is a ridiculously low bar. And by the way, nowhere in the Bible are we commanded to be a friendly church. It's just not there. I mean, show me the verse. The Moose Lodge is friendlier than the church, so many YMCAs pull it off better. Uh, Bars. See, we are supposed to be communities, unique communities, where all people, all people are honored and treated with respect. Yep. In fact, a place that wildly honors and loves their enemies. I can show you that verse, uh, who honor those who seek them dishonor, those who seek them harm, love those people who are throwing rocks at them. Or another way of looking at it, the church should be a place where enemies find love from each other. That should be it, right? A little or a lot. That's a foreshadowing of heaven uh, by faith from the power of the Spirit and our inner being, right? Ephesians 3, that we should actually begin to experience the height and love height and width and length and depth the love of Christ for our enemies, right? Don't try to do it on your own, but God does that. I mean, matter of fact, I'm counting on God loving me, his former enemy. Now, don't mistake this with me saying that that means churches should let anyone do anything they want uh, or embrace any and all behaviors as godly, uh, higher human nature, right? I'm not saying that. I'd like to point out uh, a point two AA groups as great examples, maybe a little bit better of what churches should look like and feel like. Because look, anyone can come. Nobody's judged at the door for the rest of their lives. And all who come are going to be treated with the same honor and respect. No one thinks they're coming for friendship. I mean, they, they might need friendship and they might find it there, but that's not why they're coming. 
they have a problem that's overwhelming their lives, every one of them, and they're primarily coming to improve their lives, to deal with a problem, to get rid of that nasty shame, that that critical inner voice that's breaking them down, that's destroying their sense of well-being. And there's a unanimity about that. There's a feel. You can feel it in the atmosphere. We all have deep issues that we can't handle with our own choices and wills. Matter of fact, our brains have betrayed us over and over. And largely subconscious, nasty, dehumanizing powers, addictions, right, are running our brain. And our weak prefrontal cortices are falling short of the job we need them for. They're not helping. So we need something else. We need a higher power to make us better, to make us feel loved, make us, to get, a, get in charge of our life again. So church should be that place, that safe place where people, beat up people, failed people, anyone can come as they are to access God's power right? And to access his love as they are and to improve their lives, their sense of significance, security, and belonging, their sense of connectedness and enoughness. And all who come need that differently, uniquely, but, but all of us a little or a lot. I mean, churches should pull that off. I mean, we're not kidding anybody. We could all use more enoughness and connectedness, everybody who comes to church. So look, I don't think you should be surprised that this is not the perceived branding of our churches, of institutionalized church, no matter what your denomination. So that's number one. They don't see the church as a safe place. Number two, the dynamic gospel, the ridiculously life-changing, shocking, head-spinning gospel of Christ has has sort of made way. It's drifted away and been replaced by a defeatist counterfeit that looks more like the religion of those who killed Jesus than Jesus. And I'm referring to it as Christianity-ism. Because it's a form of Christianity, a form of the gospel, but it's saturated with the philosophies of dualism and secular humanism. And we talk a lot about that at the Gospel Rant. Check out some of the other podcasts. But Christianityism implies, or just flat out says, that God loves the righteous. And by the way, righteous as we define it, and is ashamed of failures, again, as we define it. And if you want God's favor, if you want to stop fearing that God's looking away and disappointed in you, you have to earn it by doing, and then we fill in that blank for you as well. And if you only did that better and more often and more consistently, your spiritual life would just soar. And then you would feel like God's smiling over you, not laughing and dancing uh, per Zephaniah, but at least not turning away in disgust. Yuck! Who wants, to, who wants to go to that church? And that's not the gospel. It isn't. The dynamic gospel of Jesus is this. And this comes from a, a bookmark that we provide called The Simple Uncluttered Gospel. You can get it from our website, gospel-app.com. Jesus follower, strictly because of what Jesus did for you 2,000 years ago, God absolutely loves you. He does love you with all of his heart as much as the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father. Isn't that ridiculous? He can't love you any more or any less than he does right now. Man. My brain could just get that. I'd be dancing. He loves you as you are, not as you should be or could be. Really? You can't add to this love or take away from it? Really? Now, I get it. It often feels like you've messed it up or need to do something so that God would like you better. Not so. How do you experience it more now? Simple. Great news. There is something you can do and are invited to do. You can take daily baby steps to ask the Spirit inside of you. And the Spirit is inside our each of our inner beings. That's what makes us a Christian. Uh, 
so you can daily you can take daily baby steps to ask the spirit inside of you to make you know make you know experience and feel just how much god loves you right now just ask ask again later today ask tomorrow make it a spiritual habit meaning do it over and over until it becomes something inside your midbrain isn't that great so let me ask in your church do you hear this a lot every week I mean, do you see it represented in every email, uh, in every small group, in every publication? By the way, is this in your mission statement on the website? I'm not seeing that a lot. Christian, do you know that God loves you right now as you are, not as you should be or could be? You didn't mess it up by what you've done in the past or even yesterday. You can't mess it up what you do today or tomorrow. He loves you. As you are. So if you're an addict, he loves you. He's an adulterer, can't love you anymore. Are you a victim of whatever? Are you depressed? God loves you. Are you a liar, uh, a person from this or that political party? No, he adores you. No matter what your sex or sexuality is, heaven's going to be filled with people from all sexes and sexualities redeemed and loved by Jesus. He loves you no matter what your skin color is, your education level, what part of the city you come from. He will never look away from you in disgust or disappointment. Right? One of the last peoples that he officially loved that is written about is it was a thief on the cross, convicted by whatever justice system there was. I mean, that says something. So humanly speaking, he does not know how to be disappointed in you. He will never abandon you, ever. Now, does he discipline? Yes, of course. That's what loving parents do, but it feels so different from punishment, right? My son-in-law, uh, there's, a, there's a, another podcast that we did uh, with, with him. My son-in-law regularly sits with his son, his five-year-old, in timeouts, right? It's not just, okay, son, you go into the corner for a timeout. He sends his son in the corner, and then he goes and sits with him and tells him this is what Jesus does. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's cool. I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> the goal of, of godly discipline is to remind you how much God loves you. Because it's the kindness of God's Romans 2, 4, that changes behavior. Right? The goal of discipline is not for you to pay judicially for guilt, because Jesus already did that. So, in churches, do your sermons end with this message? Is this the final message that people have when they get ready for communion or walk out the door. And here it is in summary. I mean, close your sermon with this. Okay, people, the Bible says that we're supposed to be perfect in this area, and that's the law. Bad news, you haven't. You've failed. You're not anywhere near perfect. I'm not going to shame you by saying you should just try harder or set higher goals. I'm assuming you've already tried that. It's just not going to happen. And even if you could choose to do the law eight times out of 10, or even nine times out of 10, and good luck with that, there is still part of your brain that's going to do it for the wrong reasons in order to get God to favor you more, or love you more. And oops, that's also sin because that's a lie. <clears throat> Imagine if sermons ended that way. One study showed that two-thirds of Christians... These are the ones who are listening to the implied gospel out of our churches are afraid that when they see God face to face, he will be disgusted with them. He'll turn and walk away, shaking his head in disappointment. He'll be so disappointed in, in them. That's hogwash. 
mean, that, that's how others treat us. That might even be how we treat ourselves, right? Shame, that critical inner voice. But strictly because of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago, God is not disappointed in us because he was disappointed in us on Jesus uh, in our behalf already. And that would be double jeopardy, and God does not sin. So God will never be disappointed in you ever again. Is this the message you are hearing from your church? Or are you just hearing it now for the first time? Is it making you shake your head and smile a little bit? Well, it should. We should be dancing. All right. So first is, you know, when church is no longer considered a safe place. Second, we've displaced the gospel with a counterfeit, really. And then third, there are huge parts of the demographic, people say, huge parts of my friend, friends and community that I can't invite to church because they will be immediately uncomfortable in our churches. And I assume that the people are speaking of their friends who are gay or this or that skin color or this or that sexuality, socioeconomic status, political party. I guess it could be a lot of different groups. And by the way, I think they're right. But back to the branding. (laughs) You know, it is what those outside are thinking of the church, any church. If I invited my gay friend, if I invited my black friend or Asian friend or homeless friend, right, or Democrat or Republican, they just wouldn't feel welcomed. Why would I do that to my friends? God, help us. Look, if the church was manifesting the spirit of Jesus... The wild answer is of would they feel comfortable is of course they would they would feel if if we had anything to do about it the wide look just look the wide range of folks who came to Jesus the Jews the non Jews the Romans the unbelievers and by the way they were all unbelievers the the sick meaning the untouchables the lepers uh, the enemies of the Jews of Jesus the tax collectors uh, the, right the corrupt the Bernie Madoffs the the dead the thieves the murderers the prostitutes the professional military uh, the sicarii the assassins the demon possessed man what a church <laughs> where do you find elders in that church uh there was no advertising campaign, you know, if you fit this category, come. They just were drawn to this power of Jesus, to this magnetism of Jesus, to this, the look of Jesus, the compassion and empathetic being of Jesus, his face. By the way, they were drawn as they were. They weren't required to change themselves. And religion didn't help them out. Religion didn't do anything but make them outcasts. And by the way, some of them were pagans. Um, and their religion didn't help them feel more enoughness or connectedness. They just came to Jesus desperately because they felt like they could. They felt it even magnetically drawn to his presence. Did he agree with their choices and lifestyles? I mean, is that why they came? No, none of them. Jesus is was a perfectionistic God. It, he just was manifesting a different aspect of God. Jesus' plan was to lovingly go and suffer and die for each one of their choices and lifestyles <laughs> so that he could enjoy them personally, forever, whole, laughing out loud for eternity, and vice versa, so that they could love him without the shame, without the guilt, without the fear of rejection. Let me put it differently. Let's just consider uh, someone has a gay friend, right? Right? 
Uh, so let's look at that gay friend. We could, we, by the way, we could pick straight friend, uh, single, married. We could pick Lutheran. We could we could pick anything, right? So let's take a look at that person. But but I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, talk about uh, this gay friend. Cool. And I'm not picking on LGBTQ at all here, right? So uh, again, we could have chosen any demographic, any person of any lifestyle or socioeconomic status, right? On a scale of zero to ten, just how whole and happy is that? person on a scale of zero to ten is it six is it eight that'd be that'd be pretty happy five not so happy um right we should want ten for that person right well how about their experience of enoughness am i lovable enough good enough smart enough employed enough faithful enough successful enough enough of a lover enough of a person is it six or eight or five how about their sense of connectedness uh, uh, enough good friends and family who really know him as he is, know what he's done, who he is, know th- knows him well, things that he hasn't done, the secrets, the shame, the mask, um, right? And and even, even though they know him, they are still excited to be with him as he is. When he walks in the room, do their face light up? And enough of them, sense of connectedness. Or... Does he still feel some loneliness and isolation and boundaries and fear of relationships where relationships have hurt him, right? Now, I'm going to say that his gayness or lack of gayness isn't his biggest need or, by the way, the biggest solution to his needs, right, to, to get wholeness and happiness and enoughness and connectedness versus experiencing all of those from Jesus, with Jesus, and, and doing that more. And by the way, me too. We're all in that same boat. He needs what I need. A lot. Me too. I need to, by faith, look up into the face of Jesus regularly just to see his excitement with me and for me again. I need daily to be reminded again today that he is still crazy about me as I am. His stunning love for me as I am, even with all of my past and present baggage. And I have it. Uh, and, and those things that I know should or could make me feel less lovable to some, to many. At least that's my fear, but not to Jesus. I need to see that. I need to feel that. In spite of that nasty inner critical voice that we all have 24-7, relentlessly telling me that I'm not enough and I shouldn't be connected. Right? I don't experience that from Jesus, and I need to have access power from God, Paul says in Ephesians 3, to be able to experience the height and width and length and depth of the love of Christ right now. So, listen, no matter who you are, how you self-identify, this, is, this should be the core mission of your church. Not to define right or wrong behavior. That was finished long before our times. There's volumes of that. If you're interested in reading that, go for it. I mean, I just find it very depressing. Uh, right? But the Old Testament and New Testament is loaded with the, the demands of a screamingly perfectionist God. But our mission is to tell people who fail that list that they can, by the way, and that's all of us, they can strictly because of what Jesus did on our behalf, honoring that list, right? He's going to pay on the cross for every single aspect of that list, every single law that I broke. And to right now experience such love from him, unadulterated love from him, uh, un, 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 uh, undiminished love from him that it changes everything that it makes our heads spin it messes up our brain in a good way today tomorrow the next day so many of my bad choices are subconsciously 
Um, my, my desperate brain is looking for that love and acceptance hit in all the wrong places, right? Or as I prefer putting it, that connectedness and enoughness that I desperately need. And we're looking for it in all the wrong places because we got to have it. That's how we're made. And the goal is not to choose to stop doing the counterfeits. Good luck with that, right? That's Christianityism, right? Good luck. I'm, su- I'm assuming you've tried. How's it gone for you? <laughs> it's to replace the counterfeits with the real thing. The only thing that is powerful enough to make me and you begin to feel enoughness and connectedness that we're looking for. Forget seven and eights. I mean, we need a 10 and heaven's going to be that 10. But right now, right? So the church's mission is to proclaim to failures, remind failures that we are loved now. We are loved failures. And not that we can be loved. We are loved right now as we are. And churches shouldn't let anyone out the door until they've heard that at least once. Or if they go to the website, it should be there in bold font. If your church, here we go, if your church gets the rep mutation of Jesus, the branding of Jesus, that anyone can come. And when they do, they are honored and changed. They can feel more enough and connectedness just like the rest of us. Well, I think now you've got something. You've got a business plan. You've got a huge strategy. And until your church embraces that and proclaims that, and that becomes their brand, you will not grow. All right. To summarize, our brand... Uh, right now is that we're no longer a safe place. We're out of bounds for a large chunk of the population who would not have been out of bounds into the circle of Jesus. And frankly, we're irrelevant to people's lives. We're not helping them get connectedness and enoughness, right? And and people, certainly post-COVID, are are feeling a flagging sense of enoughness and connectedness. I mean, it's epidemic, right? It's another pandemic. Uh, So how can we help? If you're a church or small group and you've lost your way in these three mission statements, check out our six-part discipleship curriculum, Take Heart YZ. It is so good. It's designed for young adults, but, man, we've, we've had boomers go through it, uh, Gen Xers. Uh, it's, it's, it's dynamite. It's video-driven, uh, done for young adults by young adults. It's set up for six one-hour groups, about a half-hour videos, professionally done. Dynamic prayers are included because it's going to be drip, drip, drip. We're trying to minister to your critical inner voice and immerse it in the simple, uncluttered gospel. You can check out Take Heart YZ at our website, gospel-app.com. Now, if you want an intensive of these three mission statements, the simple, uncluttered gospel, check out the-dance.org. Uh, And for 90 minutes or so, you will be immersed, washed over in a variety of aspects of this gospel. Some stunning uh, and surprising. You should leave the 90 minutes smiling, feeling hopeful, feeling less depressed. Uh, You're feeling more connected and more enoughness, certainly with God. You will believe a little bit more just how crazy God is about you. And we just can't wait to hear what you think. And then pass it on to other Christians that you know who've left the institutional church because of the the above three statements. I'm pretty sure that they're going to thank you. Our guess is that this is what they're missing and have been looking for because they're like us. And if so, they'll thank you. And by the way, did I say that the dance is satisfaction guaranteed? So there's a fee, but come on. It's it's a fraction of a counseling visit. 
It is Jesus's mission, the simple uncluttered gospel. Read Luke 4 in his sermonette. There it is. That's it. About right. All right. Thanks for letting me rant. And uh, as always, I could be wrong, but nope, I don't think so. (laughs) So let me know what you think. We'll see you on the next Gospel Rant. I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard. Finding uplifting news in today's headlines is often like searching for a needle in a haystack. At the Story Behind podcast, we believe in the power of finding heartwarming tales and are happy to share empowering stories with you every week. Hear about how Steve Harvey surprised a dying man on Family Feud with $25,000. Get inspired by the note a waitress received from a patron dining alone. And even hear about how one VIP passenger made a hardworking pilot get emotional before his flight. To start listening to the Story Behind podcast, visit lifeaudio.com or search Story Behind on your favorite podcast platform.